Good morning, Friendship Church. This is week six of our verse-by-verse walk through the book of Colossians. Uh, Colossians is actually a letter or an epistle, and so it is, it is written with one thing in mind, even though it talks about several different things, and that's why we're going through verse-by-verse. Verse. We want to soak in everything that Paul said to the Colossians, um, and so, and, and, but it's one letter, and so uh, there's one thought, and that one thought is Christ is all that matters. It's kind of the slogan of the book, if you want to say it like that. Christ is all that matters, and we found that all the way through the first two chapters. We're into the third chapter here today. Uh, But Christ is all that matters, and that's why we share the love of Christ with other people. That's why we love each other. Uh, He went through a large section explaining how that Jesus created everything, that he is the head of the church, and we are the body, Um, that at times we're going to even struggle in our walk with the Lord, but everyone's going to struggle on this life. We might as well struggle with the Lord. Um, And then the last couple of weeks, what we've talked about is uh, this tension that we have as we live for the Lord. We're trying to stay right here, keep our eyes on the Lord, but sometimes we want to lean this way and uh, kind of do what we want to do, what we think is right, while we hold on to some of the principles of Jesus, but do the things that we want to do. And we, we can't go that direction, but we also can't uh, keep this list of do's and don'ts of these man-made rules and say, well, I'm a Christian because I did this right here. Um, no, it's because of Jesus Christ. And so we've walked through that tension uh, the last couple of weeks, and we're continuing that a little bit here today. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, reading verses 5 through 17. So where we just left off is he told us that the way to do this is to keep our eyes on Christ and to keep our eyes on heaven that is coming before us. Too often we want to look at the things that are going on here on earth, and that makes some sense because, I mean, we all got to go to work tomorrow. We all got to, you know, there's some things that we have to do. We got to put food on the table and we got to pay our taxes, whether we want to or not. All these things... There are some earthly things that we have to do, but he wants us to keep our eyes forward on what is coming. Here on earth, it is temporary, but there is an eternity ahead of all of us, amen? And so that eternity ahead of all of us, we want to keep our eyes on that and make sure that we are living the way that God wants us to live. And so as we go through the next several verses in here today... It may seem like he's giving a list of do's or don'ts, but but he's not. What he's doing is he's going to describe for us some of the things that a Christ follower is going to do and then describe for us some things who are not following Christ is going to do. And so uh, let's just dig right into it right here. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to start with verse 5. So he says, keep our eyes on the Lord. So verse 5 starts, it says, so... Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. So he says, put to death the sinful earthly things. There are earthly things that happen, and there are heavenly eternal things that we want to keep our our focus on. And so way to help us think about this is that there are consequences to all actions. Okay? A consequence doesn't necessarily mean bad thing. It just means because of this action, this is here's the response to that, or here's what's going to happen because of that. Uh, when you try the seafood special at the sketchy restaurant, <laughs> the consequences is a tummy ache the next day. Okay, there's consequences to actions. Okay, 
Um, and so what we understand, there are two kinds of consequences. There are earthly consequences. And so when we make decisions, there's going to be things that are going to happen because of those decisions, right? We're, we're with us there. That's both good and bad. But there are spiritual consequences to earthly decisions that are made. And we don't understand or feel those spiritual consequences sometimes immediately. And so we focus on the earthly consequences. And so he starts off with this idea of have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires. These sexual sins encompass everything that is outside the bounds of biblical marriage. We still believe in biblical marriage even in 2024, correct? Uh, and so all the way back in the day, it was one man and one woman were joined together um, and that is what is called marriage. And so every kind of sin outside the marriage of a man and a woman is going to be sexual sin. This is everything from adultery, fornication, pornography, thinking about having sex with someone, not your spouse, homosexuality, all of it. All of those things that are outside the biblical view of marriage um, is sin. And there are spiritual consequences to earthly decisions. And so sometimes what happens is we will do one of these things um, and we, let's, let's say you commit adultery and nobody gets pregnant, nobody gets a disease, and nobody finds out. And so you feel like that you have skirted or gotten around the earthly consequences. And so you think that you're good. I did this uh, act and nothing really happened to me as far as earthly consequences. But we oftentimes do not realize or feel the spiritual consequences that happen to those actions. And those don't come until later. So just because you escape earthly consequences, do not think that you have escaped spiritual consequences. And that's so important for us to remember. So as sex was created for the marriage of one, one man, one woman, for Two main reasons here, procreation, we need the species to continue, okay? Uh, and then also for intimacy between the man and the woman. And so when we try to redefine marriage or we try to redefine what the things inside marriage are for, that's when we get in trouble. Even if we do get away from earthly consequences, we will not get away from spiritual consequences. And one of the things that is, that is happening, and especially those who are younger and not married, uh, especially listening up to this, um, we're finding out that part of the consequence of this culture, um, we sense that something is not right. Something is not good. There is sin, whether we want to call it sin or not, but something is just not right. And what that not right is, is that the culture is moving further and further away from God. And so as they begin, as people begin to do what they want to do, when it comes to, um, to sex and sexual ideas, they're moving away from the Lord. And so they're watching pornography or they're, or they're getting involved in hookup culture. And so they're feeling that if, if I am with this person this week and this person the next week, I'm having physical intimacy, I'm getting to know someone, um, or I'm watching this online. But what, happen, what is happening is, is that the younger people of today feel more alone than any other generation that's come before that. And they're not finding that out until 
after they've been a part of this culture and they've had maybe some physical consequences, but they, the spiritual consequences begin to catch up with them. And so they are feeling alone. And so what do they do? They want to fix it. They want to fix their alone, so they go out and they hook up with someone, thinking that that's going to fix it. But it was outside what God has created, and so their idea of fixing it away from God is not going to fix the problem. And what happens is, is when they leave that person, they feel even more alone because they're torn further and further away from their God. It's just what is happening here today. It's another example of taking God-made creations and using them for selfish reasons and then wondering why they feel unfulfilled. We need to turn our eyes back to the Lord. And we need to follow His plan for sexuality. Uh, Then it says, don't be greedy, for a greedy person is is an idolater. Because this greed is in the same verse uh, with sexual immorality... Um, the belief is that, yes, you can, have, you can have greed for money, but they think it's connected to these sexual sins, this greed. And it's the idea that they are wanting more and more of the creation instead of the creator, and so they become greedy. And what a greedy person does in the sexual sense is that they worship uh, the creation and not the creator. That is so, so dangerous. We have got to worship the creator, not just the creation. Verse 6. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Do not be naive. The wrath of God is just as much a reality as the grace of God. And sin will not go unpunished, either in this life or the one to come. We love to hear sermons about God's love, about God's grace, and God's mercy. And let's hear more and more and more of that. But then we forget that if we choose to live outside the law of Christ, there is a wrath coming. And that does not prove that God is not loving, by the way. Because those who are in Christ receive his love. And not only that, there has to be justice on this earth. If there is going to be sin and harm that is put out into the world, there has to be an eternal justice system that will make everything right in the end, and that judge is God. And so therefore, justice comes. There is love and there is wrath as well. Verse 7, you used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. So check this out. He just mentioned a couple of things, mostly sexual sins, and he's about to go into some others here in just a minute. Uh, But he says, you used to do these things in your life. So he's talking to the Colossian church here. You used to be adulterers. You used to be these things. There were people in the church that used to act sinful, but God has brought them out of that. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So you can't sit in here today and say, I've gone too far, I've done too much, how can God save me? He says right here, you used to do these things when you were a part of the, part of the world, but I've brought you out of that. Even on the specific sense of homosexuality, 1 Corinthians 6 talks about this. In, he mentions, lists specifically homosexuality in the list of things uh, that are sinful and says, you used to do these things, talking to the Corinthians. Uh, There are people who lived a homosexual lifestyle, 
God delivered them, and they have come out of that, praise the Lord. You're not hearing those stories because this culture doesn't want to hear those stories. But it is absolutely true. God can bring you out of anything. Remember, we have a new life in Christ. We are not bound to these sins. And there is not a sin that God can't deliver you from. Praise you, Jesus. Then he continues with some more. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Now again, this sounds like kind of a list of do's and don'ts, but it's really not. It's just these are the types of things that people who are away from God are going to do. And you're going to find out the fruit of the tree, right? And so he lists some things here. Get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander. Some of your uh, uh, Bibles or translations say gossip and dirty language. Anger is this continuous attitude of hatred that remains bottled up within. Another word for this is bitterness. If you're holding bitterness towards somebody else, listen, they're not the ones suffering. You are for holding bitterness in your heart. They, but they wronged me. They did something wrong, and so I'm going to hold on to this hatred and bitterness. You're the one suffering, not the other person. So this anger is not just the emotion of anger. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. So you can have a feeling of anger without allowing it, without you holding on inside. Um, so this is what, this is, uh, it, this destroys the harmony and the unity Paul called for among other believers. Then you go to rage, which is this outburst of anger or this quick temper for selfish reasons. This can mean continual or an uncontrolled behavior. So if you are in Christ, you might feel anger, but that doesn't mean you explode at somebody else. That doesn't mean you yell, that you have a tone with, uh, that you, your behavior changes because of your anger. That's this rage. Malicious behavior. This is doing evil despite the good that has been received. The word is a general term referring to an evil force that destroys relationships. It can be anything from causing trouble to wickedness. It's a deliberate attempt to harm another person. This could be physically, this could be by reputation, but this is kind of the evil scheming behind the sins that are going to come in just a little bit. This malicious behavior is the scheming and the thinking of what we got to get them back. We have to do this to this other person. This malicious behavior. And someone who is in Christ is not going to do this. Then it talks about slander or gossip, which those are, they're, they're different, but they're very close. Slander is destroying another person's good reputation by lies, gossip, spreading rumors. Malice often manifests itself through slander. Jesus has uh, a process for us in Matthew 18. It says, if you have a problem with your brother, you go talk to that person. If you go talk to anybody else about that person, you are immediately wrong. That is called gossip, and that is slander. And that is not the actions of someone who is under the law of Christ. Not the actions of someone who is thinking eternally. And for those who say, well, I don't gossip, but I do listen to gossip. You know what I mean? Somebody has to blow off some steam a little bit, so I just listen to gossip. You are not out of the woods. I've heard it described, listening is coming into agreement with Satan. 
Satan wants nothing more than to break the unity of the body of Christ. So when you hear gossip and you don't stop it right there, you are coming into agreement with the disunity that's trying to be put out there. And we can't do that. I know you say, well, I didn't start the fire. But if the fire gets to you and you do nothing to stop it, then you are complicit to where the fire goes after that. If someone comes to you with gossip, you stop it right there. What you say is, it sounds like you have a problem with X. You need to go talk to X. What are you talking to me for? Stop it right there. Dirty language. Yes, this is where, where, where's the cussing verse in the Bible? Here it is. Dirty language. Crude talk. Abrasive language. Expletives. Paul admonished the believers that such language must be caught and stopped before it escapes their mouths. We can't say words like that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we don't watch movies or hang out with people who are going to cuss and say these things because then that's going to come out of our mouth as well. We have to control ourselves with dirty language. So when you run your knee into the coffee table, say fluffy marshmallow, okay? Don't say something else. (laughs) But seriously, these behaviors have no place in any Christian or in any church. Amen? These are part of the old life before knowing Christ. Before you knew Christ, you can have bitterness and you can have rage and malicious behavior, slander, gossip, dirty language, say what you want to. But Christians must resolutely put off these repulsive sins of anger and speech so that they can put on Christ's attitudes and actions. You do these things, there will be earthly consequences to to these things that you do. And you'll be able to see some of those. But there are spiritual consequences that will catch up to you. Trying to cause disunity in the church by doing all these things, spiritually speaking, it will catch up to you. He continues, verse 9, Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Don't lie to each other. Listen, Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if Jesus is the truth, then telling lies is coming in direct opposition to God because he is the truth. So when you say something that you know is not true, you are purposely standing in the way of where God is moving. You're directly putting yourself in the opposition of God. Talk about spiritual consequence. You will absolutely feel that. It destroys trust and it shakes the foundation of unity. Listen, these things mentioned, these are filthy clothes. All of us have been out somewhere and we've just gotten dirty. Have you ever been just dirty and you just, I cannot wait to get home and take a shower, right? You're, you're, you've been gardening outside, you went to the gym and you're sweaty or you're doing whatever it is and you're just, you're just filthy. And you, you just get home and you immediately take your clothes off, jump in the shower, and what do you do? You put on new clothes. You want to feel clean again. When we choose to sin, it's like waking up the next morning and then putting those dirty clothes back on. No one would do that. Hopefully you don't do If you do that, stop. <laughs> okay? Stop wearing dirty clothes. Wash your clothes, okay? But seriously... If you, if you just feel dirty and you got to take everything off, you're not going to then the next day put on those dirty undergarments and those jeans and that shirt with the mud and the dirt. 
That's gross. You don't want to do that. But every time we choose to sin, that's exactly what we're doing spiritually. Verse 10, put on your new nature. This is the new clothes. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. If you want to know who Christ is and be more like him, you spend time with him. That's reading your Bible, praying, coming to church, hanging out with Christians. Just those basic things. And when you do that, you begin to put on a new nature. Set your hearts on things above, as it said in verse 1. When you put on this new nature, you become more like Christ. We're taking our eyes off of eternity and putting them on the petty things of this earth. Stop thinking so earthly and think heavenly, the things that God has for us. Verse 11, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. It does not matter. There are many times, and humans like to figure out where they are compared to other humans. And if we put ourselves above somebody else, especially in the body of Christ, we are in the wrong. He says there is no difference between Jew or Gentile. In the Colossian church, there were Jews who had come to Christ, and there were pagans who had come to Christ. And we can't say, well, the Jews are a little bit above the Gentiles. No, no, no. We are all the same at the foot of the cross. We are the same. It says circumcised or uncircumcised. There are sometimes, uh, there are things that we do and we, because we uh, do this and this person over here, they don't fast the way that I do, so I'm a little bit better of a Christian. You see what I'm saying? That's not, there's no circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbaric and uncivilized talks about the Greek people that were in the church. The Greek people, they thought that they were a little bit more intellectual than the other people. And sometimes it's easy to, if you have a pretty high intellect, it's easy to look down on those whose intellect is not as high as yours. And, and Paul here says, there's no difference, okay? There's no difference. You can't just say you're better because you're smarter, And then you got this slave or free, this idea of economic difference. Sometimes it's easy, if you have a little bit more money than somebody else, it's easy to look down on those people. We're not doing that. It's also easy that if you are less off when it comes to resources, it's easy to get mad and bitter at those who do have resources. No, we're not doing that. We are all the same at the foot of the cross. There is no one higher or lower than anybody else. We, there, we have different roles that we will play temporarily here on earth. There are roles to play, but no one is higher or lower because of pastor or because you've been a Christian longer or whatever it is. We are the same at the foot of the cross. And so it doesn't matter if you are all these things, dot, dot, dot. Let's continue. Why is that? Because Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Does not matter if you're Jew, Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Because Christ lives in us, we can't position ourselves to be better or worse than anybody else. We are all the same. And this is how we remove these barriers that we put up, these human barriers, is we know that Christ has died for all of us and Christ breaks down the barriers. So, As we come together and we are in the body of Christ, disagreement, and you've heard me say this before, 
There's many people that come to this church, and from time to time we're going to have a disagreement about how we do things. But disagreement does not mean disunity. Disagreement means we can disagree on the color of the carpet and what we're going to do at Christmas time or whatever it may be. The songs that we sing for worship, there can be disagreement, but we are not going to be disunified. We are going to stay together and we're going to solve these problems together. Disunity is shaking the foundation of relationship for petty and selfish reasons. And let's be honest, they're always for selfish reasons. Always. We can't say, well, I think this and you better do it this way. We, we can't have that in the body of Christ. We can't have disunity. We will have disagreement. We cannot have disunity. No one can claim to be chosen by God based on heritage or even good works God freely chooses who he wills to accomplish whatever purpose he wills. So verse 12, we go into some of the things that we are going to put on. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves. There's that metaphor again. Clothe yourselves. We're taking off the old clothes and the old nature of of rage and sexual sin and these things. And we're going to put on tender-hearted mercy, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. These are the things that we are to be to each other in the body of Christ. We put these things on, and this is how we treat everybody else. Tenderhearted mercy is a genuine sensitivity and heartfelt sympathy for the needs of others. And mercy is an attribute of God who is described as passionate and who acted so on our behalf. When we show mercy to other people, we are acting just like Christ. That's Christ-likeness. Kindness is acting charitably, benevolently toward others as God has done toward us. Kindness is a theme throughout the Psalms and the prophets and really all the Bible. Kindness takes the initiative responding generously to other people's needs. Sometimes somebody just needs a word of encouragement. Can we be kind and do that? Be kind with each other. It doesn't come naturally many times, kindness. But kindness is one of the fruit of the Spirit, which means it can grow. It means your, your ability to show kindness may start off small, but it can grow. So no one can kind of say, well, I'm just not a kind person. Yes, you can be. Yes, you can be. I'm not a patient person. Yes, you can be. I'm not a loving person. Yes, you can be. These are fruit of the Spirit that grows in us. Humility. An attitude of self-esteem that is neither puffed up with pride nor is it too self-deprecating. True understanding of one's position with God. And remember, Christ humbled himself as well. So humility, nobody walks around, nobody has a cape on and they walk around and everybody has to listen to them and what they say. Humility is understanding that God is here and that we are here underneath God. That also doesn't mean that we're way down here, so don't do a false humility thing, okay? We're also, but we are underneath God, and we understand that, and so we come humbly to his throne, and we deal with each other humbly. Gentleness, somewhat like humble, but it's considerate of others, submissive to God and to his word. Gentleness is not to be confused with weakness. Instead, it means consideration of others and a willingness to give up one's right for the sake of another or the church. As Americans, we can beat our chest and say, I have my rights. As Christians, we lay down our rights for other people and for the church. 
How do we know that? Because Christ laid himself down for us. If there was anybody who lived on this planet who was able to stand up and say, you can't do this to me, it would be Jesus. And he did not do that. And so gentleness is not saying that you don't have rights, but it's voluntarily laying down rights for the goodness of the unity of the church. That's so important for us. Patience, long-suffering, or putting up with people who are irritating. (laughs) There are people who are irritating. Do not elbow anybody, okay? But we have patience. The person might have the right to retaliate, but we choose patience instead. And the Holy Spirit's work in us increases our endurance for patience. These, These are the things that we put on in Christ. And it's just way different than trying to figure out the, the do's and don'ts of not to do. It's like, this is how we should treat each other. These are the kind of the examples to treat each other. He continues, verse 13. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. We are going to have faults. We are going to miss up. And even sometimes, purposely. But that doesn't mean that we do not forgive each other or hold offense. Christians, Christians should, it should be so hard to offend us as Christians, especially other Christians, because we're forgiving because Christ modeled it. He forgave us when we have accidentally or on purpose hurt him. He forgave us. So as other people might hurt us, we forgive them. We don't hold on to offense. We forgive others. Verse 14, above all, clothe yourself, there's that metaphor again, with love. And it binds us together in perfect harmony. We will not be able to do what God wants us to do if we, do, if we are not bound together in perfect harmony. We have new clothes on and it should affect the way we treat each other. We're going to, re- listen, church. We are going to receive enough persecution from those outside the church, from just the difficulties of life, and from the devil himself. We don't need friendly fire as well. Okay? Like, we're going to get enough from out there. We need to come together in here. We don't need friendly fire. Verse 15, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. That peace comes from Christ. So if you don't have peace in some decisions that you're making, then you're probably not making decisions that Christ would want you to make. And so you have peace. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace, which means if you're the one bringing the chaos, you're the one in the wrong. Because we are to live in peace And what happens is we are always thankful because of it. We thank God for joining us together. It's this vertical worship to God and this horizontal connection with each other. And we are brought together and we are thankful for the things that God has brought us through and blesses us with. Last two verses, 16. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God, once again, with thankful hearts. 
Really, this verse describes what we do on a Sunday morning. When we come together, we let the message about Christ, what's being said right now this second, let the message about Christ and all its richness fill our lives. It means don't resist it. Don't be like, no, 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 I don't do that. Surely. No, let it fill your life. Let the word of God convict and instruct you like it's supposed to do. Sometimes the word of God encourages us. Sometimes it instructs and corrects us. Allow it to do that. The message will fill our lives. Then it's teach and counsel each other with all wisdom that he gives. I'm going to plug Wednesday night once again because that's what we do on Wednesday night. We come together, we read a passage of scripture, and we have small groups, and we talk. And it's not trying to figure out who's the smartest in the group. The, the point is, is that we learn from each other. Oh, I've never thought of that verse that way before. And we talk and we grow together and we counsel each other with all wisdom that he gives. And then if you're wondering why do we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, I mean, church is a weird place. There, there's not many places that we go together and we sing songs. We don't get up in a restaurant and say, let's sing a couple together, everyone, you know? Row, row, row your boat. I mean, it, it, it's, you don't really do that. The closest thing is probably a sporting event because you can kind of sing some chants together and, and stuff like that. But even that is a unified group of people come together for a purpose. And is that not the church as well? We're unified together. And so we don't sing songs because we can all sing. We sing songs to God with thankful hearts because once again, it reminds us where God is and where we are. And so we sing praises to our God. And that's why we sing. Last verse, verse 17. And really, this verse kind of encompasses all of them. I could have made a really short sermon and just read verse 17, but I didn't. I did the whole thing, okay? But verse 17, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do or say. Those of you, th this is like a power verse, uh, Colossians 3.17. Many of you maybe even have this memorized. If you haven't memorized, you probably haven't memorized in the, in the New King James Version. Let's look at that. Whatever you do in word or deed, there's that word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. All these things, the things that are about to come out of your mouth, the things that you are about to do, can Jesus be pleased with that and sign off on it? And if he cannot, he cannot sign off on fits of rage. He cannot sign off on gossip and slander. He cannot sign off on sexual sin. He cannot sign off on, well, you just doing what thinks you think is best. He can't sign off on those things. So those are things not to do. But he can sign off on mercy. He can sign off on love and peace and self-control and patience, gentleness. He can sign off on those things. So before we say or before we do anything, is Jesus happy with that? Are we drawing, bringing, coming closer to the Lord and bringing other people closer to the Lord with us? And we have to honestly evaluate ourselves and say, there's some things that Jesus couldn't sign off that I'm doing that. Listen, God wants to do amazing things in Friendship Church. And if we are living a life of the old self, getting caught up in earthly things and disunity and all these things, we will not do what God wants us to do. 
But if we join together in love and sacrifice for each other and love each other, the gates of hell will not prevail. Because what God has for us is so amazing. And we will be able to do it if we unify behind Christ who is leading us. Can we do that this morning? Let's stand here together. We're going to go into a time of prayer. And I, and I have a kind of a different time of, of prayer for us. There's two things. Two things I'd like us to do. And I've instructed our, our worship team. They're just going to play just a little bit to let us pray for a minute. And then we'll go into a worship song here in a few minutes. But first and foremost... Can you be honest with yourself? And is there one of these things or maybe something else, sexual sins or disunity or, or fits of rage or, or whatever they may be, is there something that's in your life that you need to get rid of? It is hard for you to sit down and to, and to set aside. And you need help, supernatural help, helping you through this. Or... You're not very good at some of those things that I mentioned over here. Tender-hearted mercy and kindness. You're not great at patience. You're not good at this. And you need supernatural help to allow you to do these things. I want you to, in just a minute, you can find a place to pray and pray for those specific things. And we believe that God will answer that prayer. That God will be there. He doesn't want you to do these things. He wants you to do these things. So, of course, he's going to help you. There's no reason to act like you don't know them. God already knows. So, so coming to him humbly, he will change that heart. So that's number one. Number two, whether you need to do that or not, I'd like you to pray for someone in the church, in the house. Stretch your hand out. You don't have to go over and put a hand on their shoulder. If you want to, that's fine, but I'm not saying that you have to. But I, to build up this unity in the body, I think it would be good to pray for each other. And so if you need to pray for the first thing, that's fine. Whether you do or not, uh, absolutely pray for someone else in the church. Extend a hand or you don't have to walk up to them. If you want to, that's fine. But pray for someone in the church and pray that their life would be enriched. Maybe you just want to pray a thankful prayer for that they serve, whether on the worship team or on the children's or whatever it is. But let's be unified here together as a team. And so if you want to find a place, pray for God to help you supernaturally. But definitely pray for someone in the room. And they're going to let us do that for just a couple of minutes. And then we'll sing a worship song here together. But Lord, be with us during this prayer time. Help us grow closer to you and closer together in unity in this church. We love you in Jesus' name. Okay, find a place to pray. Pray for somebody in the church. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the peace of God? Amen. The peace of God. Let it rule in our hearts forever and ever and ever. What a good church we have. Thank you so much.